0: thank you for listening to first baptist church of conway it's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith if you missed this week we hope you'll join us next sunday at 9 a.m for sunday school or 10 a.m for worship now here's this week's message so thankful for our, our worship uh team and all they uh all the work they put in i uh I am there for the planning sessions. I am the one that writes on the whiteboard. Uh, and so that's all they let me do. Uh, I, I give no input, I just tell them, uh, yeah, sounds good. Uh, and so that's what, I, that's what I do. My name is Gary. Some of you, I'm still introducing myself from time to time uh, to people around here. My name is uh, Gary McCrary. I am the Next uh, Generation Pastor, and Pastor Brian has asked me to, to come today. He said he spoke on this, uh, on this topic on this passage of scripture uh, just, a, just a few months ago And so he just asked that I would, I would cover it from, Kind of from a different angle And uh, so he is actually huh, He's in children's church And so uh, that's where he's at today he is, he is teaching that And he was super pumped about it He was like pumped all week He's been talking about this, that, and doing this And, and uh, I was in there just a minute ago And they are loud uh, Which you can imagine uh, they, are, they are loud So it is always a privilege to come and stand before you That is not a small thing to me It's a big thing, and so I am grateful uh, to be able to do that. Uh, We are in a series called "The New You," going through the Book of Ephesians, and you have been sitting in a very, uh, on the heavier side theological talk. Paul is kind of prefacing everything. He did the same thing in Romans. He he's prefacing everything with right thinking because what you think about, you'll care about. What you care about, you'll chase. And so he's, he's, he's prefacing everything with thinking biblically, thinking right. And then all of a sudden, the switch comes. Because you wanna know if you think right, you'll do right. That's how you know how you think. And so he's, he, he, he switches over to what this looks like, kinda of holds the mirror uh, up, up to us a little bit. And so we are, we are gonna be looking now, from now on to the end of the book, on what this looks like, what right thinking produces in your life, what it should look like. In the first days of our country, there were many discussions about what the motto should be, uh, really to establish our common identity as a country. And one that was brought uh, before the, the Congress was the Latin phrase, e pluribus unum, which means, out of many, one. This is a fitting topic because there were so many differences in the colonies in those days, drastically different people like it is today. But yet we are one. And this is exactly what the church looks like. Out of many, one. We're gonna talk about this today. Paul's gonna show us this in this passage because there is so much that makes us all different. How many of you, how many of you are originally from South Carolina, how many of you? See, it's like half, maybe a little bit more than half. I am from New Mexico, New Mexico. A lot of people forget the new part. They always wanna say Mexico, and then they look at me because I don't really look like that. And so, New Mexico, New Mexico. I was born and raised there. my entire family is still in New Mexico, Pastor Brian, and I are always going back and forth because our upbringing could not have been different. There, there, there was a drastic difference in the way we were raised. He has told you about some of the circumstances that he has had to work through in his family. I was saved at a very young age in a very Christian home. My dad is a first generation Christian. The gospel was everything to him, is everything to him. I speaking to him past tense, he's not past tense, He's present tense um it it was everything to him man and 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 he it was important that his boys his boys got it grew up in a very christian home i grew up in a very loving home my parents uh on uh in july they will celebrate 60 years of marriage in july so i grew up in that kind of home very different uh than 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 brian talks about And, and i was the baby of the family uh I, uh, my brother, I had a, a couple brothers in college when I was born, so I was very much the baby of the family, so I got, uh, how am I going to say it, my parents were established uh, financially and everything when I was around, and so I was uh, what you would consider spoiled, is that the word, I don't know what the word is, I, I had a jet ski at 16, is that is that spoiled, this is what, Pastor Brian makes fun of me about because he's always talking about my silver spoon and everything and uh, making fun of the differences in us, but I'm not the one that drives a Jeep Rubicon. And so uh, that, that we're, not, we're not gonna go there. We, we could not be different. There are significant differences with everybody in this room, upbringings and preferences, so much so that division is easy. In fact, it is talked about over and over in the Bible, division in the church, it's easy. It's easy. People that are divisive, they're taking the easy way. That's an easy thing. The Bible talks about it. In the Ephesian church, uh, Pastor Brian talked about it because they had it. They had it uh, very easily. They could have been divided. Jews and Greeks, completely different cultures, completely opposite people groups. And Paul has been showing this church in Ephesus that it is the gospel that brings them together. And he's going to do this very specifically in the first six verses of chapter four. He's going to show them something interesting. He starts off this section very uh, very soberly. He says this. It's a reminder. He's done this once already. He just reminds them one more time. As a prisoner of the Lord, Ephesians chapter four, verse one. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of of the calling you have received. He reminds them, the second time now, he's a prisoner. He is in chains, he is in chains because of the gospel, because of bringing the gospel to people who did not have it, he is in chains. Not like our prison, completely different. He's there, he's struggling. And even though these circumstances, we might give him a pass for maybe not holding very tightly to his faith or maybe slipping a little bit. But Paul says this, even though I'm in chains, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It's a pretty sobering word from somebody that's in prison. The expectation of the gospel. If you believe that Christ died on the cross and resurrected from the dead on the third day to abolish your sin that you willfully and even unknowingly committed, the gospel landed on your life, landed on my life. I should wanna walk worthy of that. People sacrifice for me, I treat them differently. Right, my parents treat them like common people. I don't just pass them on the street and not acknowledge them. (laughs) They sacrifice for me. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Paul saw his prison sentence as another place to prove what Christ had done in his life. This is the same calling for any of us. Whatever position we're at in life, it it is up to us to walk worthy of this. And so with this introduction, Paul is getting into what the Christian life should look like should look like. And what's interesting is he assumes some things. Number one thing that he assumes—this is not like in, in, in the notes, but this is just one thing that he assumes—is that the church is part of the of our life, a major part of our life. He he just slides right into talking to the church without even saying you need to you need to be part of a church. He he doesn't even say that. It is assumed. The the language in the next. Few passage passages does not make sense if I am a person that simply comes and sits in a pew once a week and then moves on. And that's the sum total of Christianity. Like it, it, this language isn't gonna make much sense. But if we are people who want to walk worthy of the gospel that has landed on us, this language is gonna make perfect sense because there are people who just kinda come and sit. Not here, but in churches far, far away. So with this introduction, Paul gets into it. He's gonna lead us into a thought. The first thing he wants us to see is this. He wants to see us moving together or moving as one together. Moving as one together In 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 a way that's very much like Paul. He gives us a few things very quickly. That's very Paul. When he writes, he does this. He'll pop out things very quickly. And these things end up being pillars uh, that that hold up something that is very important. Four things, pillars, and they're going to hold up something. He says this. So he just slides right in. Walk walk worthy. And here's what he says. Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So humility, gentleness, patience, love. We've heard those words before from Paul. He says they're part of what the Spirit brings to your life. They're fruit that the Spirit brings up in your life. You want to know if the Spirit's landed on you, these things exist in your life somewhere. It's a good way to know. Are these things about who you are? Are you working towards these things? This is what he told the Galatian church. They're they're fruits of the spirit, but not only that, they they were words used to describe Jesus himself. That you look like Jesus. This is the mindset that Paul is trying to cast forth, that we look like Christ, especially in the church, because sometimes we are significantly nicer to people who are not saved than to people who are not here but in churches far far away he says this he told the same Galatian church in, in chapter 6 verse 10 he says, therefore as we have opportunity let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. make it a make it a point to pe- treat people in the church way better. Way better. So a humble, gentle, patient spirit does something. It bears one another in love. This word bearing literally means to hold up, to, to, to lift them up. Is that, is that what we look like? Are we, are we lifting people up? When we press pause real quick on our lives, do I have a life that is lifting people up? Especially people in the church. Or am I constantly tearing down, nagging, doing something else, whatever it may look like, taking to to other platforms, email, social media, whatever it looks like. Lifting up, this is what he says. This is a life that that walks worthy. You wanna know what it looks like to walk worthy? It's a life that, that, that is lifting others up patiently, gently, humbly, loving people, especially those in the church. These four pillars, humility, gentleness, patience, are the foundation for, ready? This is what they're holding up, unity. Unity does not exist without those four things. Unity is vital in the church. Verse three, it says this, he says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep. That word literally means guard. Pastor Brian already talked about our need to be peacemakers. Why, because this is what brings unity and let me me, me drop a phrase on you real quick. Unity is how the church together glorifies God. Or the negative, we do not glorify God as a church without unity. Does that mean we all believe the same? Does that mean we all aren't gonna bicker about things from time to time? Oh yeah, we will. But through patience, gentleness, humility, and love, we can work through that together. We can work through those things. We can figure out exactly what the Bible is trying to say. Paul knows that the best way to bring peace is not to focus on our differences, but to focus on what we have in common. And in fact, he makes one very big point with one very small word. And that word is one. Look at verses uh, four through six, he says this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all and in all. Some scholars believe that this was a sort of creed in their day. This was a creed, this this, this repetition of one, 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 reminding them of who they were together. One, one body. There is a universal body of Christ. But I think Paul has a more narrow vision here. I believe that Paul is indicating that you can only be part of one body, a local church. I think he's narrowing the view a little bit for these people because he's writing to one local body. I think he's narrowing it. Yes, it's true that, that, that all Christians are tied together by the gospel, but it is hard for me to be unified with somebody in Zimbabwe. I can pray for them. But as far as just practical unity, they're there, I'm there, we'll probably never meet this side of glory. So I think Paul is very much narrowing his mindset there. One spirit, we all have the same Holy Spirit inside of you. No greater, none less. It is the same magnificent Holy Spirit that you have, that I have, if you are saved. There is one hope. Our hope is that Christ's sacrificial death and resurrection covered our sins. It's one hope. One Lord talking about the same authority that we all place our lives under as Christians, one Lord, one faith It seems to be talking about Christianity as a whole, the faith. One baptism that we were all baptized into God's family spiritually, but also a person is baptized after their confession of faith, after they confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, they they are baptized. and one God and Father, setting aside our identity as anything else but a member of God's family. So Paul is showing them that you have this in common. So Pastor Brian and I may have completely different upbringings and backgrounds, and that makes for some lively discussion and points of view about how things should be. But spiritually, we're exactly the same. Our spiritual past is identical. Everybody in here, if you are a saved, if you're a Christian, you and I have the exact same spiritual past. One Lord, one baptism, one faith, one God, one body. It is exactly the same. This is how the gospel connects every believer to each other. We have the same common story. God has done this because it is necessary to foster hope in the church. If there is not, I mean foster unity in the church. If there's not unity, that's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. There's something wrong with one or both or all of us. It's a spiritual issue. God has made every provision for unity in the church by giving us all a common ancestry in who he is this is how we 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 move as one together but let me let me let me me show you one more thing as we get into very practical now paul was kind of tethering us to the rest of the letter and now he's moving on in this letter and let me show you that we're going to be moving together as one moving together as one there's a transition here, and it's very clear, and it's used by a very small word. Often we hate this word. It's the word but. You know, has anybody ever, ever been in a meeting or, or a conversation, and they're like, hey, Gary, I really like what you're doing. But, right, it's a transition word. It's a, there's something else tethered to this, something else tied to this but. He says this. We have all the big things in common, man. There is all the big things in common. But, a transition. But to each one of us, each one individually, which we're living in the United States, we love individuality. Each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, Ephesians 4, 7. But each one of us, Grace has been given, but there is something that makes each one of us different and unique, each one of you. Each one of us in this room, if you were saved, this makes us very different. Something has been given that we did not earn in any way. This is why he uses the word grace. It was something that says that Christ apportioned, that's a $5 word is what we call that where I'm from. That $5 word, all it simply means is measured out. Christ has measured something out and he has given it to you. You don't measure anything on accident. We measure on purpose. We measure for a specific reason. Whether that's construction, whether that is cooking, we measure. We measure it out. This is why he's doing this. He has something very specific in mind for each one of you, that Christ has taken this grace and he has put it in your life for a specific reason. And then he gives a very weird illustration, but it helps us in the end. He, he quotes Psalm uh, 68, and he says this. Let me read it to you, verses uh, uh, 8 through 10. He says this. This is why it says, it being the Bible, says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. Then he gives us a parenthetical statement so we know what he's talking about. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended, uh, he's the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. He's talking about Jesus coming down to earth, ascending back up into heaven. He did that to conquer sin, to conquer death. But this is where he's getting, it's in that very first phrase. He says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to people. That's the grace in your life. You have been gifted. This is the picture he painted. Let me paint the picture for you. Imagine prisoners of war you can imagine whatever whatever war we're talking about in 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 history people that are in war they've been taken they are made slaves they are made captive they are treated horribly and this is picturing a king who is tired of that a king who is going to get his people back so the king goes into that country lays waste to that country takes his people back brings them back to the kingdom sets them free but not only sets them free, as if that wasn't a gift enough. He gives them the gifts of the spoils of war so that they can be functioning members in that society, in that kingdom. That's the picture he's painting here. Using Psalm 68, that was kind of the picture there as well. So Jesus, King Jesus has come, rescued people, set them free from sin and death, and then not only set them free, as if that wasn't good enough, but given them a gift so they can function in the kingdom. So each one of you, sitting here today, has been given a gift. You've been given a gift. You kinda have frowns on your faces this morning a little bit, that's big news. Like you can just smile a little bit and be like, oh, gifts, gifts are good. They're good, that's a good thing. You've been given a gift. So the spiritual reality is that you have a gift in your life and Jesus the Lord expects you to use this gift in a very specific place, the church. The church. So you sit there, gifted by King Jesus himself for a very specific purpose in the church. Remember, we haven't left the term and the thought of being unified, of being unity in the church. This is another way that God has provided for our unity. He has gifted us all very differently, so that, ready, we need each other. Some of you like to be individuals. I'm sorry, you need me, and I need you. This is the point of this whole passage. He is showing that we are, we are gifted, but we need other gifts. And you might be thinking, I have no clue what my gift is none. I'm sitting here completely clueless, and that is completely understandable. God has thought of this already as well. And he says this, look at verses 11 and 12. So this is how God ignites gifts in your life. Ready? So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. He's given us four things there, given direction through four things. The apostles, which is a group of people, there were specific things that an apostle had to be in order to be an apostle. Those things have passed, but we have their writings in the scriptures, The prophets, the same. They always brought foreboding thoughts, almost negative at times, because the way the the, the people of God had kind of fallen back, but he gave them the prophets to kind of bring them back, and we have their words recorded in Scripture. So we have to think that he's kind of just talking about the Scriptures at this time. That we have the Scriptures to help guide us in this. But also he gave us evangelists. Growing up, I think of evangelist as like kind of a slick dude, kind of a slick suit, kind of a slick turn of phrase and sermon, and he kind of holds a thing, or you bring him in and give him some money, and he kind of tells you a little bit, and that's not altogether false. When the Bible talks about evangelists, they look more like missionaries, that role. But also in 1 Timothy, he also talks about evangelists as a gift in the church to spurn people in the gospel. That there are people right here that are passionate, maybe, maybe even inordinately passionate about the gospel. And that's to help us that maybe have lost focus or maybe, maybe don't share the same passion, but he keeps us, she keeps us going. Their fervor for the lost, the fervor for the community around us, the fervor for the world that is going to hell, that they are keeping this before our eyes so we need that it spurns our gifts because there may be something that God is doing inside of you that this person may say something or do something and man it, it sets a fire in you the last thing he gave us was pastors and teachers there's something about the communicated word of God that should burn in you it should burn something in you. It should connect with your gift, and there'll be something said by a teacher, by a pastor that will burn through you. It It will cause you to think. It will ignite this gift, and in igniting that gift, it's gonna bring further unity to this body of believers. So God has given us gifts, and given us gifts in the way of pastors and teachers to help us to understand this. We're equipped, it says, for good works, works of service so that his whole church will be built up. That word "equip" is the only time it's used in scripture. Paul grabbed a word that was so unique, you would remember it, right? You remember weird words, bum-fuzzled, that's a weird word. Doohickey, there's another weird word. We remember words like that or weird words. If I were to sling one of those out here, you'd be like, oh, doohickey, that's a seminary word. He uses this weird word to say, to, 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 to make a specific point that this specific language, this is important. That they that they're that the, through the teaching of pastors and teachers, they are going to equip you for something that God has specifically for you that is going to be connected to the church. It may not take place inside these four walls. But... It's going to be platformed here. It's going to go forth from here. And there's something important that happens now. Paul lays all that out and then he shifts a little bit. I want you to get this. If you fall asleep, wake up real quick and get this. Paul wants you to track with this right here. Paul's directing his thoughts now to include himself. So I want you to think, but we, we, we see Paul as a heavy hitter, right? He's a, he's a heavy hitter. Like he, this, is a, this is big time here. This is LeBron James of the Bible. This is a big deal. So here he goes. He says, until we, if you circle, if you write in your Bible, that, that might be important because Paul is now lumping himself with them. He says, we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become, big word, mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 13, that word we, Paul now says, I need a pastor and a teacher. I can't imagine the weight that would have held to see the apostle Paul sitting right here. But even Paul knew I have to be spurned, man. My gift has to be spurned inside the church. It has to be moved by that. So Paul is sitting under preaching himself. He's sitting under teaching himself. He's learning this because he wants to be mature. Because he wants to know that this is how this is measured out. The same thought it says here. He says that it is attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is what I I got to get across here is this that Christ has taken something and he's measured it out. And it fits into all that First Baptist Church is supposed to be. So you sitting right there, you're you're measured and you fit. And you're measured and you fit. And you're measured and you fit and I'm measured and I fit. This is what he's trying to get us to understand. This is how we become mature as a church, as believers, by understanding that I am connected to the whole. He is is showing a direct connection by exercising my spiritual gift to spiritual maturity. That that once I start to do what God has created me to do, I will start being more mature. Because some of us, like me, I struggle with that sometimes. I struggle with doing the same things over and over and over and over again, right? I struggle. Some of that comes from the fact that I haven't connected myself properly to the church. Therefore, I haven't connected myself properly to my full spiritual maturity. Nobody grows strong on an island. Nobody. So he gets this. He, he wants him to understand. Even Paul knew that he needed these people in his life. He needed the church to fulfill his role, which we think, wow, because he wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, and all of a sudden Paul's saying, I need the church. I need pastors and teachers. And he continues with this word, we, as he as he goes on to verse 14. This is why we need good teaching. This is why we need pastors. This is why we need teachers. Verse 14 says this, then we will no longer be be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by every cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. He lumps himself with the church again. And I would say to me, I would say that Paul is the furthest thing from a spiritual infant, as he says there. He says that we're not infants, so we're not, we will no longer be infants. I'd say if a church has the the apostle Paul in the middle of it, good gravy, and he says, nope. We're only as strong as our weakest believer. So if somebody is just sitting and doesn't get that they're gifted, we have a hole, we have a gap. There's a gap in the measurement. It doesn't quite fit, because it's gone. And there's a hole. And what slides into that hole? Deceitfulness. Did you know there's deceitful people in the church? Not here, but in churches far, far away. There are deceitful people who would push an agenda, who would push something else, who would want to take us away from Scripture. And Paul is saying that the only way we're going to get around that is if everybody is fitting in. If everybody is, is, is getting their, their knowledge right and their gift right, and this is one reason why, this is going to be such a shameless plug, but I can't help myself. This is one reason why we have growth track. These are classes 101, 201, 301, 401 to help us get things right. 301 is on spiritual gifts, March 29th. This is why we have growth tracks, so we can get this teaching, so that we can figure out what we're supposed to be doing here, and we can close the gap in our church, and we can be a, a strong church. Why? Why do we want to be a strong church? I'm glad you asked. Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become every res- uh, in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ you see what that says? We will grow to become in every respect singularly the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Here's the deal, you guys know this because for Gary to look like Jesus is impossible. I know it's hard to believe. I struggle, I got my own sins, I got my own stuff. I got my own stuff that I deal with, my own failures as a husband, dad. that's why i'm in a church because christ doesn't expect us to be monumental giants everybody looking exactly like jesus because that is impossible to look like the lord of glory but together together we can together we are a body and that body is jesus that's what he's saying there the full measurement of that is Jesus the, the, to become every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ that we look like Jesus collectively so that when the when, when, when Conway or Myrtle Beach or A or wherever is looking at First Baptist Church they think Jesus man that's what they think. if I need to connect with Jesus they're doing it together because it is a lot of weight on me to try to look like Jesus because I will fail over and over and over and over. But together, together we won't. It's important. Paul says it like this to round it out. He says, verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. He takes even the smallest of of body parts, a ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's kind of stagnant, but each part—that's you, that's me—does its work. I got a buddy in high school. Man, he was a—he's a ball player, baseball player, stud, one of the best athletes I've ever been around. And uh, right out of high school, he was uh, offered a minor league deal, so-so. Wasn't a great deal. Uh, so he passed it up, decided to go to college and uh, for, to, to, to work on some things and to get a better deal. Instead of being stuck down and possibly getting lost in a system, he wanted to kind of enter that system at a higher level, and so that's why he chose to do that. And uh, so he was well on his way and one summer, we all came back from college, all got jobs, different jobs. He and some other buddies of mine went to a mill, uh, a lumber mill, and we're working there. And they uh, were doing that work. I had another buddy. He is kind of a uh, clown. Is that, uh, is that an appropriate word? He's kind of a clown. Just is, man. And he and this this other buddy, this baseball playing buddy of mine, were were working together, and they they were hauling this very big piece of lumber, and the clown was jacking around, and they dropped this lumber on my buddy's foot who played ball, pivot foot. He's a right-hander, but he batted left-handed, and that's, that's a nice thing to have. And uh, he could, he, 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 and that's where his money was, he could hit. Uh, he could run like a deer, but he could hit. And, uh, and so he couldn't pivot, couldn't pivot, couldn't pivot. Struggled, struggled, struggled. The one thing he knew at the level he had gotten to in college is that if you're not playing, you won't be playing. So he's trying to get back in, trying to get back in, and uh, trying to get back in, trying to be back in quick, as quick as he can, and so he got back in, and guess what? He hurt his shoulder. Why? Because his mechanics were off from his foot. So now his shoulder's hurt. And it was injury, after injury, after injury, after injury, so now he's just at home. And if you don't know, Roswell doesn't have a major league ball team. Um, and so he, he, he doesn't, uh, doesn't play ball. And all because his body was reacting to its injury. Same way as the church. When we're all doing our part, as it says there in verse 16, we will grow. We will grow as each part does its work. But when we're not together, when something is wrong, it starts to affect the whole. The foot starts to affect the shoulder, the shoulder affects the arm, the elbow, everything's not working properly. Really great things are happening at First Baptist Church right now. Really great things. But one has to wonder if things couldn't be substantially bigger. Substantially greater if everybody was involved. If everybody was doing their part. If we were all functioning as a whole. Every person takes the church and their role in it seriously. And again, you may be wondering what your gift is, and we invite you to growth track. That's what that's what that's what 301 is going to be all about. Uh, you can go on the website, check that stuff out. You can figure that stuff out but I want you just for a moment we're done so please take just a moment even as we consider our role in this church body there has to come to a point that we have to ask ourselves am I working toward maturity or against it am I working toward using the gift that God has given me figuring that out as I sitting? and you, you, you hear great preaching from pastor brian and other other speakers other sunday school teachers and small group teachers and they're and they're and they're teaching or maybe you're listening to it somewhere else and you're you're hearing these things and there's something that's been ignited in you that's not by accident man that's not just emotions that's the lord and so what are we doing about that what what, what are we doing to work towards that, I think the answer to that question, am I working towards maturity? I think the answer to that question could be the difference in a good church and a great church. The kind of church that that Acts talks about when it says, uh, when when the apostles come and the, the believers come to the city, they said these are the ones that turn the world upside down. They flip the world on us. They flip the way everybody's thinking. They were kind of meaning that in a bad way, but it's a pretty cool reputation to have, those that are flipping the world around upside down, changing it. I wanna ask if you wouldn't mind to pray, and then Rocky, you can know, come. Father, we're grateful for all you do for us, great for your great grace in our lives, we need it. That you would give me a gift that I'm supposed to use to represent you in this community, in this world is, is mind-boggling. I don't know why you would want me <laughs> to represent you there are sub- substantially better more qualified better people to do that but i thank you for it i think that you would i think that you would do that that you would put me in a place a part of a people a measured part to do a small role that hopefully together will one day even now tomorrow have a huge impact I pray that you'll be with every every aspect of this. I pray for every person in here who's giving some thought to this. I hope they are, that's the point. We don't open the scriptures for entertainment, we open the scriptures for thought, to think, to wrestle, to bring up questions, to seek out answers to those questions, help us to think critically about what we're doing. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your son that you would send him for my life my sin was great. It's all I brought to the gospel was my sin. You brought everything else. Thank you for that, Lord. I love you. Your Son's precious and holy name. Amen.